What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler. Here with me, as always, is my co-host, Curtis, on the other end of the line there. And uh, well, it's, it's our bye week here. It's pretty much mid-season. Uh, it's not, I guess, not officially mid-season. One week after mid-season, is that right? The official midway point. Uh, but this, regardless, it's, it's close to mid-season. And this is the time of year where you see all the major publications out there start throwing out their mid-season All-American list and all that good stuff. So we wanted to take our stab at it today, but we're going to do it in a little bit of a different way. Instead of looking at an All-American list, on today's show, what we're going to do is we're going to award our mid-season superlatives. This is We do our, a superlative show at the end of every season, also in the preseason, kind of just previewing the season. But we figured we'd also throw one out here during the bye week, just a little topic of conversation, kind of see where we are right now seven games into the season. Of course, we're also going to wrap it up at the end of the show with our picks of the week. We cannot forget to do that. But first, uh, we've got a couple things here we want to run through. If you guys are new to the show and have not had a chance to follow us on Twitter yet, you can definitely do that. At uh, Glory underscore UGA would be the handle. We'd love to hear your thoughts and kind of inter- interact with you guys. Uh, we do enjoy that, especially during the season. A lot of us have, a lot of us have talked about during the season. We, we enjoy it in the offseason, too. The season, there's so much going on. We lo- we love to hear your thoughts on the show, on the team, what's going on, recruiting, all that good stuff. So check us out on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. If email is easier for you, you can also email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And you can check out the Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page as well. A um, couple places you can find the show. Obviously, you listen to us somewhere, somehow. But... Uh, we got started a couple years back on Dog Sports Radio, part of the V Sport O Internet Radio Network. So you can definitely find us at dogsportsradio.com. You can also find us on some of the bigger podcasting platforms out there iTunes, SoundCloud, all that stuff, uh, but also the Stitcher and TuneIn apps as well. So hopefully one of those works for you guys. Try to give you as many options as possible. It would be awesome if you guys could rate and review the show, whatever your chosen platform to find us is. Be really uh, beneficial and helpful to us if you guys take just a few seconds to rate us, give us a little quick review, tell us what you think. Uh, we really, really appreciate that. It kind of helps the show out, helps us grow, and all that. So, anything you guys can do. I know time is precious, but we appreciate anything. All right, Kurt, let's go ahead, man. Without, without any further ado here, dude, let's go ahead and get into this 2017 midseason superlative show here. We're going to do the, both sides of the ball. We're going to start with the offense, and then we'll work our way to the defense after that. Curry, you ready for this, man? Oh, yeah. All right, so starting on offense here, the first midseason superlative that we are handing out on the offensive side of the football is most indispensable. So, Kurt, who are you going with here for the most indispensable player on our offense so far? This was tough for me. I, I really had to think about this one for a while. It is a difficult one, and um, because obviously, like you, you think the quarterback because that's the most important position on the field. But if, if something happened to Jake Fromm, as well as he's played, as much as I like Jake Fromm, I think we'd be okay. I mean, with Eason, I think we'd be more than okay. Yeah, uh, to me, I'm definitely have to go Solomon Kinley, dude. That's exactly who I have because you, know, you think you think quarterback, you think running back like Nick Chubb. But if something happened to Chubb, I mean, God, I mean, God forbid, we don't want anything to happen to him. But we'd be okay, right? Yeah, I mean, we would. I mean, we're so deep and stable so in those positions. And, you know, we really saw it. You know, our offensive line, especially the run game, was very lackluster until he finally came back, you know, got healthy enough to play. We saw it starting really in the Notre Dame game. where he... Yeah, you saw the Notre Dame game. Yeah. We were not moving the ball at all without him. Then he comes yeah. in and all of a sudden holes start opening up and we start getting some big running lanes. In the second half, we basically didn't score any points unless Solomon Kinley was on the field. 
Um, exactly. And, and that and that's kind of continued on. There because you go into the Mississippi, going into the Sanford game, you still kind of see some of a rotation working himself back in. But we clearly moved the ball better with Solomon Kinley. Same thing in the Mississippi State game. Dyshawn Sims saw a little bit of time, not near as much. But when Kinley's in the game, that's when we're moving the ball more consistently and more effectively. So. And we said this all offseason long. What was the biggest issue we had in the offensive line last year? It was size, right? It was size. It was all about size. And we still don't have like, – we, we've, we've recruited some size this year, guys like Isaiah Wilson, guys like Antonio Johnson and Justin Schaefer. But those guys aren't quite ready yet. They're really not ready to contribute uh, in – at the college level, yeah, they will be, but they're not ready yet. So the only guy that we have with any kind of size that's ready to contribute right now is Solomon Kinley. If you take him out of the equation, you plug in Dyshawn Sims, who's a damn good dog. I mean, God bless the guy for sticking with us and, and being a great leader for this football team, being the kind of guy who's never gotten in trouble, anything like that, just been a, a great ambassador, representative of our program. But he's he's just he doesn't solve the size issue. Solomon Kinley does, and he's the only guy that we have right now on the interior that's ready to play with that kind of size. So without him, when you put Dyshawn Sims in there, it's a different story. We've seen that firsthand, right? Yeah. We've seen it. So I'm, I I didn't know who you would go with there. I, I, I had to think about this one for a bit, but Solomon Kinley. The other person, it would probably be Isaiah Wynn. You know, we've given him a lot of crap yep. uh, leading up to the show, but, you know, he's done a decent job of protecting the line. He's done a really good – I don't think we have anyone right now that's equipped to play left tackle. Like you, Andrew Thomas obviously probably be the long-term option there, but as a true freshman, you want to put him at left tackle on the quarterback's blind side? That's dangerous. Uh, Isaiah Wilson doesn't seem like he's ready yet. Ben Cleveland doesn't seem like he's quite ready yet. He's not there. So I, I know Wynn is not ideal of a fit there. He's kind of like a utility guy more than anything because he's played almost everywhere on the line. But uh, – at left tackle, he's, he's been a really good presence for us. There, a veteran presence who can who's gotten the job done. He's done a really good job. So actually, it's funny you say that because that was my number two guy. If I had to go like an honorable mention, it would have been Isaiah Wynn. But I think Kinley, just the fact that we don't have guys that size who are ready to contribute right now, and we needed size in the interior. We had to have it, and he gives us that. And if, if we lose him, I think it's a big step back on the interior of our offensive line. So I know it's weird because you think quarterback, you think Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle. Terry Godwin, but if we lose any of those guys, I think it, they're, e- I don't want to say they're easy to replace, but they're easier to replace. We have options to replace them more so than we have for Kinley. That's, I guess, how I would have summarized it there. Uh, next one here, I, I, I thought this one was pretty easy. As, as hard as the most indispensable one was for me, I thought this was easy. Most explosive, so the most explosive player on our offense to this point, Kurt, would be... Um, I have to go with Terry Godwin. Um, I think Nicole's starting to really push for it, but so far Terry's been the one that's been, you know, t- catching the ball and in the middle of the field and just turning it into big plays. That's it. That's it. Yeah, you know, see, when I think Terry Godwin, I, don't, I guess I was looking at it from a different perspective. Explosive yeah, see, doesn't come him, to my I mind. I look at him as the most explosive athlete, but when he's gotten the ball in his hands, he's made He's made explosive happen. plays. You know, the, the, uh, the flea flicker against Mississippi State, that's an explosive play. Uh, the touchdown pass, the, the crazy touchdown catch, uh, in, the, in the end zone against Notre Dame, that's man, that's that's an explosive play. He, and he's caught those balls in the middle of the field where he's taken it and run for long distances. He has made some explosive plays. Now you mention it, I guess I just think like explosive athlete. I guess what I was thinking was Miko Hardman, but no, nah, I can see an argument for Terry Godwin there. I'm not I'm not opposed to that. But I got Miko, and I know he's dropped a lot of passes. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, he's put himself in position based on his explosiveness as an athlete to make those plays. He didn't make them in the early part of the season. Past couple weeks, especially last week against Missouri, you start to see him make some of those plays, catch the football, and, and then have a huge run down the down the seam there for a long touchdown. You see him get the ball in the running game, long touchdown. So 
I think he started, you say he started to come around and started to learn the position a little bit better. But I think when you see him in open space, would you say if like in open space, would Miko be the most explosive player? I mean, yeah, he just hasn't consistently done right, enough yeah. this, this part yeah. of the season. That's why I can't go with him. I mean, he is the most explosive athlete. He just hasn't been it. Yeah, I, I, Terry's been more productive. There's just no doubt. I, I agree with you there. It's a good point. Good point. Fair point, man. All right, the next question, or next superlative to hand out here on the offensive side of the ball would be most improved. There are a couple candidates here that I considered, but Kurt, who did you go with for the most improved player on the offensive side of the ball? Um, I definitely am going to go with Isaiah Wynn. Um, I think from he's finally a little bit more comfortable in that left tackle position. Um, year two under Sam Pittman, you're seeing him become a better player. And all, not only that, um, I think he's – you know, finally learned how to, you know, use his leverage and his skill set to what befits him the best. You know, he's been he's been really good this year. He really has. He's been very, very impressive. Uh, a big step up from what we've seen from him in years past. I think he's been a solid player. You've, I've been maybe a little bit higher on wins ability than you have over the years. I mean, it's not that I was down his ability, but until he was used right and showed, you know, yeah, and I was gonna be hard on him. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's just to me the issue with him. He's a classic tweener. He's not quite big enough to really be an effective guard in a pro style offense that wants to attack downhill. But he's also, but while he has great quickness and that's his, that's his greatest strength, he doesn't have the length to play on the edge, like on the at the NFL level. At least I don't, I don't believe that he does. Uh, maybe he'll surprise us. I mean, I hope he does. Go for it, man. But uh, so I think he was a, like a, just a classic tweener. Where does he fit? But I always thought he had the ability to help us in in a number of different spots. Um, but, yeah, I think he's definitely raised his game this year. There's no doubt. I think this has definitely been his most consistent year and his strongest year to this point, which would make sense being his senior year. Uh, for me, though, I went a little bit in a different direction. I mean, I can't disagree with you at all about Isaiah Wim. I said the most improved player for me, if I'm handing out that superlative, it's going to be Terry Godwin. Uh, he, This is a guy who's a former five-star recruit, all-world recruit. Everybody wanted him. We end up landing him, and it's kind of like what we did with Jacob Beast, and you have these immediate expectations you put on him, and if they don't meet him right away, all of a sudden he's a bust. And I've been hard on Terry, just kind of like Kirby was last year. And it wasn't that I, that I didn't think Terry had the ability to be a good player. I thought he did. Like you said, Isaiah Wynn was, wasn't used correctly, right? I think that was the issue with Terry. Terry, is a, he's most effective when he's working in the slot, working in the middle of the field. He's elusive. He's got great quickness, great change of direction. He's a very fluid athlete. That's where he works best. Not to say he can't play on the outside. He can. He's shown that this year. He has the ability to do that. He can be an effective player out there. I just happen to think he's most effective when he's working in the slot. Last year, I think that was the plan going into the year. But Isaiah McKenzie came on early and uh, just showed what he could do uh, as a receiver in the slot. And, and Isaiah McKenzie can't play outside. He can only play in the slot. So if you want to get him and Terry on the field, Terry plays outside. McKenzie plays in the slot. Terry had a solid year last year. wasn't anything spectacular. But now that we've started to use him, a little bit more effectively in the slot. Still play him outside at, at times as well. He's really come on this year, and he's, I, I think, been a, one of the most improved players that I've seen the past couple of years for us on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, to give you guys some context, last year, Terry, it, he ended the season in 13 games. Ended the season 13 games with 397 total yards receiving. Right now, through seven, about halfway through the year, he's already at 369 yards receiving. Five touchdowns this year, no touchdowns last year, 23 yards per catch this year, only 10 yards per catch last year. That goes back to you calling him explosive, clearly. 23 yards per catch. We only have 16 catches on the year because we haven't thrown the ball that much. But when he's caught it, it's it's been productive. It's, it's been a big play for us. So I, I, I got to give Terry some props, man. He, he's finally kind of living up to that billing and showing people the, the talent he had all along, just 
Maybe we had a freshman quarterback last year wasn't quite ready. The offensive line couldn't really protect that well. He was still in position. We're kind of playing a little bit out of position outside. So it's all kind of come together for Terry this year, and I'm, I'm very happy for him. I'm proud of the guy for sure. Uh, next one here, the superlative for most surprising player, Kurt. So the player that you, maybe you weren't expecting that much out of has been a, a really pleasant surprise. Um, I have to go with Kendall Baker. You know, I wasn't expecting him to do anything at all, honestly. I mean, we had heard a lot about Andrew Thomas, but Baker was one person we hadn't heard much about. And that's exactly why I have also. I mean, honestly, Kendall Baker, when I was thinking this whole entire offseason, when people were asking us on Twitter and we're doing preview shows about who would be the starting offensive line, trying to do a prediction, even back in spring practice, he was he even an afterthought for you? Yeah, I, he was to me. He wasn't even an afterthought. Like he was beyond. He was less than an afterthought. He wasn't even the guy. Like in the back of my mind, I was like, well, maybe. What about this guy? I, I honestly like had almost completely forgotten about him. I, I had essentially more than written him off, if that's even possible. But so I mean, I was stunned when you start hearing news that he's getting reps with the ones and he's kind of working his way in there. Because you know, we we thought Pat Allen was going to be the guy, and although I wasn't sold on Pat Allen, but he was a guy that had it all sp- most of the spring. Has most of the fall camp, and then at the end of fall camp, you start hearing a little bit about Kendall Baker, and he gets some time in the first couple games. And when you and I said early on that of all the guys that are playing that guard position, that left guard, that were kind of rotating, whether it was Baker, whether it was Pat Allen, whether it was Dyshawn Sims, we thought Baker was playing the best. And I think the coaches agreed with that assessment clearly because he's he's locked down that position for the past couple of weeks. And I really did not see him coming. I, I did I, that completely took me by surprise. Very pleasant surprise because I think he's played well. Uh, upgrade from last year at that position, would you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he hasn't been perfect, but he's he's done a really good job for us over there. Brought some stability to that position. Uh, all right, next one here is an interesting one. Uh, Kurt, who are you going to give the superlative to on the offensive side of the ball for the player most likely to make you curse out loud? Um, honestly, I have to go with Jake Fromm, um, Ooh, because as a freshman, you know, there's going to be times where we're, he's going to do something and we're just going to think, oh, you know, word, when you see it happening. I mean, it may turn out good, but until it does, you're a little worried. Really? So you've had those moments of Fromm, you're like, oh my God. Yeah, no. like the one where he decided like, to oh. run it, yeah, where he runs it, gets drilled and fumbles the ball, you're like, oh. Yeah, who was that? Was that Sanford? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. So luckily, it didn't make. We didn't. We had that game, and we didn't have to pay for that mistake. Yeah, I, there have been moments where like, oh god, like when he didn't slide. Was it was it against uh, Vanderbilt or against Tennessee? That one time he didn't slide. Like, oh dude, you gotta get down. You gotta get down. Yeah, I think it was Tennessee. And like, and also against Vanderbilt, Kirby. I mean, if you guys, I'm sure, have seen the video clip, Kirby getting like apoplectic on the sideline with him going bananas about him stepping out of bounds a half yard like less than a half yard short of the first down marker when you just put your shoulder down and get that first down so you see that you're like dude come on i i get that's a fair one uh for me this one was an easy one for me uh i love the guy i'm really high on his potential I think he's gonna be a great player for us uh but it's miko hardman dude <laughs> so far this year for so far this year like that notre dame game like uh, I said more than a few choice words in that stadium. I, I people were looking at me like I had seventeen heads, and like I, there was something certifiably wrong with me. And there, and there certainly is something wrong with me. But uh, yeah, that I, I almost lost it when that happened because that 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 could have. I mean, we obviously ended up winning that game, thank God. But that that was a potential game changing play that you have to make. Like you have to make that play, and and we've seen that a couple times with him. Maybe not as big of a play like that. It could be a potential game changer, but when you get open, you get space, you use that explosiveness that you have, that athleticism that you have, that God-given ability. 
but then you can't convert because you dropped the football. It's frustrating, and it, it, it has definitely made me curse out loud many times this year. Cause, and it's because I have high expectations for Miko. I know what this guy is capable of athletically. He's just got to learn the position, and I'm trying to have patience with him there, man, trying to. But I'm not going to lie. He has frustrated me and made me say more than one or two choice words throughout the first half of this season. All right, next one here. I've uh, got a couple of options that you could go with this with this guy. Uh, who are you giving the superlative to for best freshman, Kurt? Who would you give that to? Um, I think you got to go with Fromm. I considered Fromm, and you guys know I'm a Jake Fromm oh, fanatic. You got to also look at Andrew Thomas. That's who I went with, and I, I kind of went with Thomas. I figured you would go with Fromm because that makes probably the most sense. Uh, and you can I cannot argue with Jake Fromm. He's led us at, as a true freshman quarterback. Granted, we have a much better um, situation around him receiver-wise, running back-wise, offensive line-wise, much better situation around him than what we had last year. But he's still a true freshman who's led us to a 7-0 record with a big road win at Notre Dame and then a 41-0 drubbing on the road at Knoxville. I know Tennessee's not very good, but that's still Knoxville. And to beat them like that, he was a big part of that. So uh, you can't go wrong with him. I initially wanted to go with him, but I figured you would. So I went ahead and went with Andrew Thomas. And you don't hear a ton about Andrew Thomas, but isn't that kind of a good thing? Yeah, it is. Because typically when you talk about freshman offensive linemen, like you hear about LSU's freshman offensive linemen, and usually what you hear when you when you hear the talk about them is that they're not playing well, and that's one of the issues that, that they're having offensively. We haven't heard a ton about Andrew Thomas because, in, in a way that's kind of good because that means he's he's – at least doing his job. If he wasn't doing his job, you'd hear a lot of talk about Andrew Thomas getting our quarterback killed, getting running backs killed in the run game. But you haven't heard that. He's, he hasn't been a dominant force at right tackle, but he's been very solid. He's been very good. And, it's, and I still think offensive line is probably the toughest place for a true freshman to come in and make an instant impact on the offensive side of the football because you're going against grown men on the other side of the ball in the line of scrimmage. And sometimes you're just not physically ready. And there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of mental... The middle game of the offensive line is tougher than people think. Now, it's toughest for the center. He's the one that's got to make the calls. The further you get out from center, the easier it is because you're more out on an island there uh, in terms of the, the mental standpoint. But still, there's a lot of calls there, the protections, and he's picked that up in a mature. Kirby likes to use the word mature. We're talking about Andrew Thomas, and I think that's been the key for him. So I'm going to go Thomas there, but you're right. You can't go wrong with Jay Fromm either. All right, next question, or next one here. Who are you going to give the superlative to midseason right now? as the most likely to get drafted in the first round. Not, not, not necessarily next year, but at some point, most likely to get drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Probably Andrew Thomas. That's also who I have, because those guys are a premium. Do you think he's going to be the left tackle of the future? Yeah. I think that's probably what's going to happen. It's, it never hurts kind of tutor a guy at right tackle uh, as a true freshman, so he can slide into that position as a sophomore moving forward. Those guys we know it's a premium position. And if you're able to, to play on the offensive line as a freshman, as a true freshman, you've got a head start there. And he's got he's got the length, he's got the size, he's got the maturity, he's got the intelligence. He really has everything that you want. He's the footwork, the athleticism, to be a potential first-round draft pick there. And like, I mean, who else would you say? I mean, you, you obviously people want to, would want to say Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle, but do you see either one of those guys being first-round draft picks? No, the other person to me would actually be Javon Williams. Yeah, and he's he's. I think he's made himself some money this year, but a first round draft pick. Well, I mean, but yeah, I mean, if anyone else on the team, you know, the offense right now, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's got the he's got the prototypical size NFL looks for. Yeah, no doubt. To there. What the other guys have. Yeah, and Cole maybe you know he's got the explosiveness, but a first round draft pick, uh, he had anything right now to show us that he's he's that player. Yeah, I hope yes. so down the road. 
but he hadn't shown that yet. So for me, I think the easiest answer is Andrew Thomas. There's I mean, you can, there's no one else on offensive line right now that's starting. He's playing significant minutes that that fits that build. Maybe some of the guys on the bench haven't really played much yet. Could be that down the road. But in terms of guys who have played significant minutes right now, I think Andrew Thomas probably fits that bill more than anyone. All right, last one on the offensive side of the ball. Who would you give your superlative to for the most overlooked player on our offense? Um, I would actually say Wims because one thing that he's getting overlooked is how well he's done blocking. Yeah, and we had somebody mention that on Twitter this week with the mailback show. I, 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 that's a big part, of what, especially what we're doing, running the ball 70% of the time right now, just a shade under 70% of the time. The receiver's got to block. That's what they're doing far more often than going out running routes. And he's done a great job of that. He's he's been that vertical. He's been uh, he has been a vertical threat to a group. He's been that fifty fifty ball threat. The guy in the red zone you can throw the ball up to and go it up and get the ball. And the guy we haven't had I haven't had a guy like that in a while with that body type. So uh, he's he's definitely served a lot of roles for us this year. And he's done a great job with that. I mean, he's playing a lot of snaps. And he started every game this year. So uh, and you don't hear a ton about him. You hear a lot about Terry. Here here here's some talk about Mecole. Here's Swift. All that kind of stuff when he's out there in the slot. But don't not as much about Javon Wims. But here's a guy that's quietly been a very good player for us this year uh for me uh it's a guy that i think is one of the better players at his position not the best player in the team but in terms of what he's asked to do he does a really good job of it and i think that's christian Payne at fullback uh, i think he's overlooked and i know we, we've gotten away from using fullbacks as much as we have in the past we're going with, with from at the helm we're in a lot of rpos a lot more rpos than we ever have and that necessitates you be on the shotgun from it's more comfortable than the shotgun uh, which is kind of weird. We didn't really necessarily do that for Easton last year when that was clearly where he was more comfortable. But Fromm, not to say Fromm isn't going under center. He is. But we're operating on a shotgun a lot more than we had last year. So the fullback is not in the game as much. And we're also using H-backs a lot more than we have in the past. We'd use that some last year as well. But the fullback has kind of been de-emphasized in his offense compared to where the emphasis that was placed on in the in the Richt era. But still, when Payne is in there and given opportunity, he does what he's asked to do. I mean, he's made a couple of blocks on the perimeter. He made one against... Uh, uh, Missouri last week that sprung a touchdown. I think he made a big one. Also, him along with with uh, Jason Stanley on the wild dog touchdown that Chubb had against Mississippi State he made a huge block on the perimeter to help to help steal the the edge there. So when he's in, he's getting the job done. And no one, I mean, that's just what fullbacks do. Fullbacks don't ever get talked about. They're overlooked players, uh, and especially now that he's not playing as much because, like I said, the fullback position just kind of been de-emphasized in our offense right now with the H backs that we're running and kind of run. More of those spread low scheme receivers and speed on the field. But when he's on the field, I think he does a great job. He really does. All right. Well, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball here. And we're going to run through the same superlatives, but this time just defensively. So, Kurt, I'm going to start with the same one I started with offensively. Who would you give your superlative to as the most indispensable defender through seven games? It's easy. It's uh, Roquan. Okay. I thought it was easy at first, too. I thought Roquan, he was the first guy that came to mind. And I thought about it a little more. And I went a different direction. I went Lorenzo Carter. I went Lorenzo. I had to go with Roquan because the thing is, especially when we had Natrez and Reggie Carter both, um, when they would come in and try to give Roquan a break for a series or some couple snaps, then all of a sudden teams were moving the ball. There's a major drop off. I, I don't think any I don't think either answer is wrong. I think I cannot argue with saying Roquan Smith. I think Roquan Smith and I know maybe this is a little bit of hyperbole, but is there a better player in America at his position than Roquan Smith? To dog fans, no. I mean, but he he's up there, okay? I mean, I, and I don't like to speak in absolutes, but it's hard for me to say, like, I, it's hard for me to say there's a better linebacker in America, but 
man, in terms of what he's asked to do and what he means to this team, it's hard to say there's much, there's many better players than Roquan Smith right now. And he is, like I've said on Twitter a couple of times this year, he is the definition of an All-American. And if he does not make the All-American team, the first team All-American team, then that's a that's an injustice to humanity. To humanity. That's crazy if he does not. That just means people are not doing their homework. They're just not watching football. They don't understand what they're talking about. Um, so, I mean, I absolutely cannot disagree with you at all. But when I thought about it, like, Roquan is awesome. And you're, he's so good. And you're right. When, when he comes out of the game, there's a major drop-off. Like, his ability to to read and diagnose plays is unmatched. And he matches that ability to diagnose with that extreme athleticism to run sideline to sideline and to bust through holes, to bust through gaps before anyone can lay a hand on. It's just, it's a crazy combination. It's a lethal combination for other teams. It's a rare combination is what it is. Uh, he's so good. But Lorenzo, man, here, here's why I went Lorenzo ultimately. It's not that Lorenzo Carr is a better player than Roquan Smith. I don't think he is. I think Roquan Smith's a better player. But Lorenzo's versatility has enabled our defense to really, really play well against the run. Now, there's a lot more that goes into it than just Lorenzo and what we've been able to do with him. Uh, everybody else plays a role in stopping the run around the front, around the second level. They, uh, even our secondary plays a role in that, obviously. But by Lorenzo, and we, he, we kind of unveiled this against Notre Dame, the ability to keep Lorenzo Carter on the field uh, and have him play that hybrid star outside linebacker position where that enables us to keep our base personnel on the field to defend against the run and also hold up decently in pass coverage, that's been critical to this defense's ability to stop the run. I think it's one of the big reasons that and the, our ability to play man coverage on the outside uh, and with, with, our th- with our pattern match coverage there when the receivers release outside to play man up and handle those guys. Those two things... I think are so big. Those are the two biggest reasons why we've been so good against Ron. Yes, we have good players. Yes, Roquan Smith's incredible. Yes, John Atkins has been great. Uh, yes, John the Ledbetter has been great. Nature has been good when he wasn't smoking weed. Uh, all those guys have played a role in this, and in way more than just those guys. But I really think Lorenzo's ability to play in coverage and also help defend against the run, that hybrid role, has, has been a revelation for this defense. And, I, and that's why I would go with Lorenzo, but, man, I can't argue with Roquan either. Uh, next one here. A little bit, I mean, we're going to say most explosive. Usually you equate explosiveness with the offensive side of the ball, but I think defenders can also be explosive. So, Kurt, who would your superlative go to for the most explosive defender on the team through seven games? I'd probably go Lorenzo. See, I, I, I kind of had a reverse here. I went Roquan as the most explosive. His ability to run sideline to sideline. Uh, Lorenzo is definitely explosive. He really kind of exploded on the scene early on in the year, getting a couple of sacks there. Uh, but Roquan's ability to go sideline to sideline and to bring the wood when he arrives and kind of run his legs on contact, uh, I, I, I guess I, that's that's who I would categorize as the most explosive player on defense. But, I mean, again, can't go, go wrong with Lorenzo either there. Uh, next one, I'm curious to see where you went on this one. Who is the most improved player on our defense so far? Um, I'm definitely going to go J.R. Reed. Ah, okay. Why J.R.? Uh, because, in all honesty, when we first got him, people thought we were just, you know, offering him a scholarly just to get his cousin D'Angelo Gibbs, and he, look, he's come in and earned himself a starting spot. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of thinking that's why we offered him. I absolutely am guilty of that. And, yeah, he's he's earned a starting spot. Do you think it was a matter of the coaches knowing what they had in JRE, or is it really were they really probably just offering him to get D'Angelo? I think they were, you know, hoping that he would come in and do something, but I don't know. It's hard. We will never know. Um, I think. I think you're, that you're right. They probably were hopeful, but I'm not sure we would have offered him if it wasn't for D'Angelo, and the, and the possibility yeah, of getting him. Uh, for me, I'm gonna go Tyler Clark. 
Tyler Clark has been our most consistent defensive lineman. Would you disagree with that? No, not at all. I mean, Trent Thompson is the guy who gets all the publicity, and he's the big five-star recruit coming out of high school. Uh, but Ty- and he's been good this year when he was healthy. He hasn't been hasn't played poorly at all. He's been really good at times. But Clark, I think, has, has taken a, a jump to put himself right there in the conversation with Trent Thompson. And when you really watch these guys play, I think you could say Trent has the higher like ceiling for sure. But in terms of production on the field this year, I know Trent gets all the pub because he was the big name. But Tyler Clark has been just as, if not, and I might argue, he has been more productive than Trent has. I know Trent's been hurt the last couple games, but even when Trent wasn't hurt. I think Clark might have been the more productive player to that point. Uh, so he's made a huge jump. He played for us last year, but what he's been able to do this year, the leverage that he's able to play with, the strength he's been able to flash, I really like what he's done. He's been a big part of our success defending the run as well on that defensive front. All right, next one here. Kurt, who would be your most surprising player on the defensive side of the ball? I have to go with J.R. Reed once again. You know, that's that's a really good one. I considered him. I figured that's where you would go on that one, and I – I, so I can't argue with that. But I, I'm going to go with Tyreek McGee. He's a guy that we heard a lot about last year on the scout team. He's one of those guys you hear that's that's really tearing it up over there. and He's going to be a major contributor at some point. I just didn't know if that was going to be this year. When you look at DeAndre Baker and Malcolm Parrish, you, you can't, it's hard to predict Malcolm Parrish is going to get hurt. Um, you have, So you have two guys. He thought those positions were entrenched. Kirby talked about how good of a fall camp Malcolm had. He probably had the best – He at least according to Kirby, had one of the best fall camps that – he had seen from anyone on the team before the injury. So I didn't know where Tyreek McGee was going to fit in there. And you think, okay, maybe slot or, or maybe the star position, but is he big and physical enough to defend against the run, the slot? Is maybe a guy like Aaron Davis going to fit in there? Is a guy like D'Angelo Gibbs going to fit in there? Because they, they can hold up against the run a little better. But Tyreek McGee has, has really, really carved a role for himself in this team. And I, I think right now he gives us a better a better chance to, win, to play winning football on the edge than Malcolm Parrish does. Would you agree? Yeah, I think he's shown that. I mean, against Tennessee, they were going after him against Tennessee. They they targeted him. Larry Scott, I'm his coordinator, and, and Dormady, the quarterback, had targeted him. And they went after him early and from first snap of the game, interception. And it wasn't just that. They kept going back at him. And he kept responding time and time and time again. And we saw against Vanderbilt, Malcolm Parrish gave up that, a couple plays to, in that half there. You bring Tyreek McGee in, and you kind of clamp some of that down. So I, I'm very surprised that he's been able to be as key a part of this defense as he has in his first, really his first year getting major playing time. I thought he could be a spot guy, could do some things here and there, and I figured he'd be good down the road, but I didn't think it'd be this early. So that's a little surprising to me. Uh, all right, next one here. Kind of what we said with Miko, at least I said with Miko, the most likely player to make you curse out loud. Kurt, who would that be on the defense side of the ball? It's hard to pick. Our defense has been really good this year. It's hard to pick on anybody, but who would be the player that's most likely to make you curse out loud on defense? Um... Reggie Carter. Yeah, Reggie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Reggie, God bless him. He's another guy. He's, he tries hard. It's nothing against him. He's, he's a just, good leader. He's been, he's been a, he's been a great guy. He's other players on the team. Yeah, it's just when he comes in, there's a major – whether he's coming in for Natrez or whether he's coming in for Roquan, there's just a drop-off when he comes in the game. There just is. And and he's a good, solid player. But, man, like when you have guys like Natrez Patrick, especially Roquan Smith, you kind of get spoiled by them. And Reggie Carter comes in, who's a great guy. He's been a great leader. He's done everything right the entire time he's been here. Love the guy. But I, I can see what you're saying there. For me, and it's not based on his play. I think he's a really good player. But it's Natrez Patrick. Okay? I'm so, it's got it's to be Natrez Patrick with just the idiotic move. Not the smoking of the weed, whatever, but just being dumb. Okay, just I'm I'm sorry. I don't want to call anybody out, but I have to hear, man. Like just being a dumb person and getting caught how you got caught. And it's just idiotic. It is. It's just idiotic. And everyone makes mistakes. 
I am so far from perfect, it's not even funny. So I hate throwing stones because nature has to pick them up and throw them right back at me, and I would totally deserve that. But you just can't be that dumb, man. Like when your team's having the kind of season we're having, you cannot let your teammates down like that. And when I, when I woke up, I woke up Friday, I actually had that day off, that Friday morning, because uh, I was getting ready to make the trip uh, to not to, what was it, for, um, to Nashville for the game. Now, I took the day off, was getting up in the morning, go to the gym before we head up to Nashville. And the first thing I do every morning is literally I wake up and I check uh, all the message boards, all the police blotters and everything to see if any of our players have been arrested. I do that every single morning, every day of the year, every single day. And that morning, well, that was case in point why I do that. And I said more than a, a few terrible things. I, I can't even come close to repeating what I said. Just imagine the worst things you could possibly say and multiply that by about a 1,000. Uh, it wasn't great. So I was very upset with nature as because that could this one this things like that when you're having a special season it's stupid things like that that could potentially derail your season. Now how, we fortunately we've been we've been able to handle it so far, but we got a couple big games here against Florida and South Carolina. Where we're going to have to continue to pick up the slack. So nature as you got to be the man on that one, dude. Uh, all right, next one here. I, there's a couple ways you could go here. I'm curious to see what you said, Kurt. Who would you give the superlative to on defense for best freshman? For best freshman so far. It's a tough one. I probably have to go with Walter Grant. That's also who I have. Like, I wanted to go Richard LeCount because he made some big plays for us early in the year when we had Malcolm Parrish out. You know, he's playing that safety spot against Notre Dame. He made he made a couple big plays breaking up passes down the stretch against Notre Dame. Some very big plays. Um, you think about a guy like Malik Herring seeing more time now with some of the injuries that we've got on the defensive front. Um, those guys have played well for us. Amani uh, Rice, I really strongly considered because the past two games he's played a lot. He started last week against Missouri. But Walter Grant, while he hasn't started a game, he's played meaningful snaps in essentially every game. And you can't say that about Richard LeCount. He's played meaningful snaps in a couple of games, but not every game. Since we got all of our guys back, uh, since Aaron Davis is back healthy, Malcolm Parrish back healthy, he hasn't really played any meaningful snaps. Um, you could say that Monty Rice has played meaningful snaps the past two games, which is true. But before that, he was playing mop-up duty. So Walter Grant, I think, is the guy who's – only one has really played meaningful snaps in just about every game. That's not playing because of injury. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. He's the only one. Yeah, I think we, 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 yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I was going to say maybe you could say um, Lee Herring, but he's really, it's injuries that have given him some opening there. But yeah, that's a good way to put it for Walter Grant. And he's he's been effective. You know, he hasn't had a huge sack, uh, but there was one play against Vanderbilt where he almost just lit Shermer up. He was a, a quarter of a step away from lighting him up. So he, he, there's been a couple plays where he hadn't gotten the sack. He's affected the quarterback, pressured the quarterback, and, and definitely been a, a good player for us there, providing some depth at outside linebacker. All right, I, I think this might be the easiest question of them all, but I'll ask it anyway, or superlative, I should say, not question. Kurt, who would you say on defense, to this point, is the most likely to get drafted in the first round? Uh, Roquan. Hands down, doesn't need to be discussed. I mean, Roquan Smith is the man. If, if he's not drafted in the first round... I, I, I'm going to be stunned. And I know that he maybe the NFL will hold, it, hold his size against him a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but you're seeing the NFL look at like guys like Deion Jones uh, it, with the Falcons here in Atlanta. The NFL is moving more to, towards those linebackers that can run in space. With the NFL now becoming more of a passing league where they want to, get, they want to attack space, you've got to have linebackers that can be three-down backers that can, that can play in those situations and also defend against the run. Roquan fits that to a T. So I, I, I think he's a first-rounder all the way. Maybe I'm biased. Probably am. Look at things through my red and black color glasses. I do. But uh, 
I think he's a no-brainer first-rounder for me. All right, last superlative here. Who is the most overlooked player on the defense through seven games, Kurt? I'm going to go with John Ledbetter. I think the thing is because he does his assignment. He doesn't get sacks. He doesn't get tackles for losses all the time. But what he does do is he come in, he comes in there, sets the edge on the run, and really helps us stop in the run by doing so. Yeah, I, I really strongly considered Jonathan Ledbetter, but I ended up going with John Atkins. Uh, because At- yeah, Atkins just says, I mean, no one talks about the nose guard, right? right. Yeah. But he's he's so critical to guys like Roquan Smith, Natres Patrick, Reggie Carter when he's in and healthy, all these guys at linebacker, being able to run. We talk about how they can run sideline to sideline. Well, that's all good and great to have the ability to do that. But in order to do that, You've got to have you got to have guys that take up defenders. You got to have big body guys like John Atkins. Who there's no glory in that position, man. There is absolutely none. But you just eat up blocks and just take a beating down in, down out, and you just you free up all the other guys to be the 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 guys that get the glory, to be the big name guys, get all the tackles, the Roquan Smiths, and have us talk about him all the time while no one mentions you. So I got, now is the time to give a big shout out to John Atkins, man. He's no one really talks about him, and we don't talk. We're guilty of that too. But he has been a huge component to uh, to this defense, and has been a big part of why we've had so much success right now. All right, so let's go ahead. That gets the uh, that ends our superlatives section of the show. Let's move into our picks of the week. I know we don't have a game this week, but that doesn't mean football takes a week off. So we're going to take a look here at. The major, all the SEC games, there's a, I think there's like five teams in the SEC with bye weeks this week. So there's a couple SEC games we're going to look at, and we've got a couple national games that we will wrap it up with as well. Last week was a little bit of a rough week for Curtis against the spread. He actually went 2-6 and six against the spread, but did a good job uh, straight up with a 5-3 and three straight up record to put him squarely, uh, actually under 500 against the spread, 14-16 and 16 and. 35 and 10 straight up. So really solid straight up, but falling under the Mendoza line there for the spread. Uh, me, on the other hand, I went 6 and 2 straight up, 36 and 9 on the year there. I had a pretty solid week as a spread. I got lucky, man. I just took a couple flyers, got lucky on some of those spreads. Uh, ended up going 6 and 2 last week, losing the Auburn spread and Oklahoma. Oklahoma almost helped me out there. Not quite, though. So I'm 20-8 and eight against the spread on the year. All right, Kurt, let's go ahead and let's start with the SEC teams. I'm going to start with a game that should probably be no contest whatsoever. I'd be uh, beyond flabbergasted if it was remotely a contest for more than 30 seconds. And that is the Tennessee Volunteers, the quickly crumbling Tennessee Volunteers, traveling to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. Alabama, last time I checked right before the show, is right now a 36-point favorite. Clearly, Alabama's going to win this game, right? Um, yeah, because the groomer's going around in Alabama. The what? Groomer. Oh, the groomer. Oh, God. Yeah, if you guys don't know what Curtis is talking about, the groomer, John Gruden, the Tennessee fans are going crazy right now with the idea that John Gruden is going to leave his cush, his cush job. He gets paid $6.5 million a year to work about, what, 18 Mondays a year? Maybe one bowl game he calls. He's going to leave that to take a job at a rebuilding program that has to wear that ugly, hideous shade of Halloween freaking pumpkin orange. And he's going to be, yeah, he's going to be recruiting day in and day out, tweeting, texting recruits 
all the time, constantly. Oh, by the way, he's also a guy who his offense is the complex. The the verbiage is insane for professionals who who do that for a living. There was always the, the rumors that he preferred having veterans on his team. He, his teams were better when he had veterans because they understood the system. And you're going to teach that to young college guys who could only you, you only have for 20 hours a week. Uh, yeah, that guy. Of course, they they just know he's coming to them. And maybe I'll get proven wrong, but no. But Bama's going to win this game, right? Yeah, by All right. 50. By 50, so they cover? Yeah. All right, so Kurt's got Bama straight up. And to cover, I, uh, I'm i with you, man. I, I, I When I see huge numbers like that in SEC contests, it's it's like, dude, how, how could an SEC team be another SEC team by 36? I don't know, how, like, how could I possibly bet on that? But when we're talking about Alabama and we're talking about that wretched Tennessee team right now, uh, I think it's fitting. And I'm going to go – just as you have. I'm going to have Bama straight up and Bama to cover the spread. Uh, maybe a more competitive game is up next. We've got the Kentucky Wildcats, a surprisingly 5-1 and one Kentucky Wildcats, traveling to Starkville, Mississippi to take on the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs, who are an 11-point favorite over the visiting Wildcats. So, Kurt, who do you got straight up in this one? I got State straight up. State straight up. Do they cover the 11? Uh, I don't think they do. All right, state straight up, no cover. You don't think they can cover that eleven against Kentucky? Can they? Yeah, but uh, let's also look at how. Why well, I don't believe Kentucky's ranked. Um, Mullen has done a bad job against you know decently winning teams. That, that's true. That's true. Yeah, Kentucky's not ranked, but they are five and one by the hair by hair's breadth. But they are five and one. Six and zero on all honesty. Yeah, they should be six. Well, I mean, you could say that, but they also easily could have lost the Eastern Michigan game, the Eastern Kentucky well, yeah, game. Just saying, if it's not for two. Yeah, it's not for like literally not covering receivers twice against Florida. Yeah, they gave they absolutely one hundred percent gave Florida fourteen points. Uh, I'm with you. I got I got Mississippi State straight up to win this game. I actually think they're the better football team. Uh, Kentucky is a top twenty rush defense right now. Mississippi State's a top twenty rush offense, so it's an interesting matchup there. Something's got to give at some point. Uh, I just I I said this in the in the in the first show of the week talking about what we got down the stretch. Kentucky, I know they're five and one and, and good for them or whatever, but I just don't think they're all that good. I don't really think they're as good as a five and one team typically would be. I mean, they beat three lower level teams. They beat like uh they beat Southern Miss, they beat Eastern Kentucky and Eastern Michigan uh, by a combined twenty points in those three games and only outgained those three teams by a combined seventy seven total yards. It's just not a great team. They're okay. They're solid. They're better than they have been. I don't know if they're ready to go on the road and win this game in Starkville. And I know Starkville isn't a great place necessarily, a great town, but that can be a raucous environment. When they get going, the cowbells ringing, and uh, Mullins, I know he hasn't had a great success against some of the better teams, but I just don't know if Kentucky is one of those better teams. So I've got Mississippi State to win, Kentucky to cover, though. I do think that that 11, that's... It's a little much, man. I mean, ten, I might consider Mississippi State covering, but eleven, uh, I'm not sure I can go with that. All right, next one here, man. This I'm pissed. This game is not like exciting. I, this whole Ole Miss thing, like I know everyone, we're all excited that Ole Miss got caught, but it's just made them irrelevant. And these games, like LSU at Ole Miss, like last year, would have been an awesome game, but now it's kind of like, eh, whatever. But the LSU Tigers, coming off two big redemption type wins, are heading to Oxford to take on the Ole Miss Rebels. Ole Miss is a six and a half point favorite right now, Kurt. Who do you have straight up? I think I'm gonna go LSU. I think they're playing with some swagger finally. Do they cover? No, I don't 
All right, so they you got, don't have the offense to cover. All right, so you got LSU straight up, but Ole Miss to cover the spread. You know what? This is my upset special of the week, dude. Oh, I, gosh. It's my upset special of the week. I, dude, I've been close. On my last two weeks, my upset special, I had Florida State over Miami, and they had that game won. Would have made me look like a genius until they blew it at the end. And I had Tech over Miami last week. was my upset special. Again, same story with the same Miami team. Tech had the game won. Miami makes a miracle pass down the sideline to get it in position to get the game-winning field goal and deprive me of the glory of getting my upset special right for the second week in a row. So I'm not touching Miami right now. I'm going to take the Ole Miss Rebels here, plus 6.5 at home. Patterson, I mean, dude, I know that they, they haven't been great this year, right? They won their first two games against subpar competition. They lost three straight. And then they beat they beat the crap out of Vanderbilt. Cause, and we, I mean, Vanderbilt, we should know by now, it's not very good. Uh, although people thought they were, but they're not that good. But Shea Patterson has been really good for this team. There's only one game so far that Shea Patterson has thrown for less than 346 yards. One game. That was against Alabama, obviously. But LSU does have a top 15 pass defense. So it's another one of these situations, kind of like Kentucky and Mississippi State. Something's got to give. And I, I'm still just not sold on Danny Etling and that offense. I'm not. I know they've gotten a little bit more on track. But I, I'm not. When you got Danny Etling at quarterback, I'm just not sure you can score enough points, even against a very, a very subpar uh, Ole Miss defense that will probably get run all over. But Shea Patterson's going to give them a chance. And I think, I think Ole Miss is going to score some points. And I'm not sure. LSU is solid enough offensively to score enough points to keep up and win this game. So I'm going to take a flyer here. I'm going Ole Miss, not just to cover, but to win straight up. I got to get one of these upset specials right eventually, one of these weeks. Uh, All right, next one here. Another one, I don't know if this will be much of a contest. Auburn is heading to Arkansas, the quickly fading Arkansas, to take on Brett Bielema, sitting on his hot seat in his Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas is the 15-point underdog here, Kurt. How do you see this one shaking out? Oh, wow. Auburn at Arkansas. That's a tough one, man. Yeah, I'm going Auburn. Yeah, I mean, Auburn's the obvious one to win. That's not so tough. But to cover? Are they going to cover the 15? Are they going to beat Arkansas by two touchdowns on the road? I think they are because Arkansas is just that bad this year. Yeah, Arkansas is terrible. If Belma's buyout wasn't so big, he'd be gone. Arkansas is terrible. They're just they're the worst team in the league. I I firmly I think Arkansas I think Missouri's better than they play at the end of the year. I think Missouri will beat them. I think Vanderbilt is probably better than Arkansas right now. I, I think Arkansas might well be the worst team in the league. And if Austin Allen's not healthy again this week, and we don't know that for sure. I mean, I, at least I haven't seen for sure. Um, I don't see much hope for them. Auburn's going to be very upset and focused. I don't, I don't know the upset that really matters a lot much in any given game, but they'll be focused. They want to get back on track in the SEC race. I think they'll go in and potentially boat race Arkansas in Fayetteville. All right, let's get out of the SEC here because that's just about covers it for the SEC. Got a couple of national games to go over real quick, Kurt. Uh, this game in the preseason had a lot of cachet. You know, Louisville destroys Florida State at home last year. Florida State wants the revenge. Thought this was going to be a match. You got the Heisman Trophy, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. You got a Florida State team as a preseason top five team. Well, it hasn't really worked out for either side of the equation here, Kurt. But still, it's an interesting matchup. So Louisville is a six-and-a-half-point underdog in Tallahassee. Who do you see winning this one? Um, I definitely am going to go with Florida State. Louisville, um, you know, it's not Lamar Jackson's fault. It's just literally the rest of the team is just so bad. Does Florida State cover? What is the cover? Florida State's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. 
So, uh, yeah. So that that hook, man. Yeah. So I got Florida State. You got Florida State to win and to cover. I'm with you, man. I got Florida State also straight up. And if you're giving me less than a touchdown, oh yeah, I think Florida State's got this by a touchdown or more. Louisville. I mean, yes, Lamar Jackson. It will be the best player in the field. He, I mean, he had, but he's literally all they have. He had 500. He had 500 plus total yards last week against BC at home, and that was enough to beat Boston College at home. So how can we expect that to be enough to beat, even if he goes for 500-plus total yards, how can we expect that to be enough to beat Florida State on the road if it was enough to beat Boston College at home? Louisville's, I know Florida State's offense is struggling right now with James Blackman at quarterback as, as a true freshman. He's had his moments, but he also has been really bad at moments. But Louisville is 78th or worse in every major defensive category, and that is a recipe for a young offense to get, to get healthy and to, uh, to have some success. All right, next one here. Um, interesting game, actually. I think this is. An, I'm, I'm excited to watch this game. The Oklahoma State, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, are heading to Austin to take on a, a, a Texas team that hasn't had as much success. I'm sure their fans want, but they've definitely shown signs. Almost won at, at Southern Cal. Gave Oklahoma a great game. Beat Kansas State at home in overtime, double overtime, I believe. So, Kurt, Texas is a seven-point dog in this game. Do they have the horses to potentially pull the upset at home? No. So Texas loses. You got Oklahoma State to win. Does Oklahoma State cover the seven? Yes. Ooh, OK State covers the seven and wins. Uh, I'm with you, man. I don't like agreeing with you, but I have to go with you here because, look, the, the Texas defense is much improved over what it's been the past couple years. They are now a top 50 defense, but Oklahoma State is – top three in essentially every major offensive category. Guys, Oklahoma State is averaging 617 yards a game. That's insane. Yes, I know they play in the Big 12. They, they can say they don't play defense, but is it because they don't play defense in the Big 12 or is it because the offenses are just really good and wide open? I think it's probably a little bit of both. But Oklahoma State, you do not accidentally average 617 yards a game through half the season. That's crazy talk. So I don't care how good Texas's offense or defense has been this year. Top 50, that's an improvement for Texas defensively. That's not good enough to stop this Oklahoma State offense consistently unless they stop themselves and turn the football over a lot, kind of like they did against TCU. Um, but I'm, I'm going to ride the Cowboys here. I still think Oklahoma State might be the team to beat in the Big 12 and potentially find themselves. They can go through the rest of the schedule uh, without losing another one. They might find themselves in the playoff by the time it's all said and done. Uh, another game, our next game here is at night. Got the wideout going on in Happy Valley. As Michigan travels to Penn State, Penn State's a nine and a half point favorite at home under the lights. Kurt, how do you see this one shaking out? Um, I see Penn State winning, but not covering. Yeah, Penn State to win. You don't think Michigan? You don't think the Harbaugh effect's going to be a factor the in this game? Harbaugh effect is he has a good defense, but their offense is anemic. And that's that's putting it kindly. Like they they simply can't score. I mean, it's funny, all those guys, you know, national pundits, the Michigan fans were clamoring because the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on the team, right? Well, they're clamoring for John O'Corn because Wilton Spade just wasn't getting the job done. Wilton Spade goes out with a back injury. He's out for the foreseeable future. John O'Corn comes in, and the dude's like, has he, I don't think he's thrown for 100 yards since he's been the starter. I don't think, I don't think he threw for 100 yards against Mich- Michigan State. I know he didn't throw for 100 yards last week against, against Indiana. If he, if he did for, against Michigan State, it was just barely over 100. And it, his completion percentage has been under 50%. He's been terrible, like a train wreck. And the running game got on track against Indiana, but man, if you're one dimensional against a defense like Penn State's got, a good solid top ten level defense, I don't see how you have any hope. So I got Penn State to win. I'm also taking Penn State 
to cover this game. I just don't think Michigan can, can score enough. To me, it's that simple. All right, and the last game we're picking here today, to me, this is the biggest game of the weekend. I am sincerely interested in this game because we need Notre Dame to be a top 10 caliber team for our strength of schedule. Uh, but the Southern California Trojans are traveling uh, to South Bend to take on the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. You typically get three points just for being the home team. So it's Vegas basically sees this as a push. But Notre Dame's getting the three-and-a-half points essentially for being that home team. Kurt, does Notre Dame pull this one? Do they win this game? I think they do. Ooh. Notre Dame, do they cover the three-and-a-half? Yeah. All right. uh, the problem is Sam Darno has been anemic in his own right this year. What? Anemic? I- I don't know if he's been anemic. He hasn't. He has not lived up to the standards for sure. Um, he's been anemic in the fact that he's turned the ball over way yes. more than yes. he did even as a freshman. Yes, you're exactly right, Darnold. That's exactly what I have in my notes here. He's been a turnover machine. He's got he's got nine picks on the year already, and he's got at least four fumbles. I couldn't find the exact number of fumbles, but I know I've watched a couple of the games. I know last week he fumbled the ball three times uh, against Utah. I know he fumbled the, uh, one time earlier in the year as well that I saw. Uh, so I know it's at least four. That's at least 13 turnovers that are attributed to him right now halfway through the season. So he's been a turnover machine. He just hasn't been a good decision maker. He's got the talent. You can see the talent on full display when you watch him play. But decision making, I don't know if he's there yet, man. Uh, so I think Notre Dame can force him into some turnovers. This Notre Dame rushing offense has been hellacious. They're a top 10 rushing offense, averaging over 300 yards a game. Southern Cal's not particularly great at stopping the run. They're not terrible. They're not great. I mean, Utah had a lot of success running the football against them last week. And they just, it wasn't the numbers that Utah mostly put up, but just watching that game, Southern Cal's defense, man, like their linebackers, front seven, they don't tackle particularly well. They don't take good angles. They just don't play good fundamental football on the defense side of the ball trying to stop the run. And that's what Notre Dame does. And I know Wim Bush is not a great passer. They're somewhat one-dimensional. But I'm just not sure Southern Cal is equipped to stop that rushing attack. Too many options there for Notre Dame. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but I'm, I'm with you, man. I got the Irish to win, and I got the Irish to cover as the three-and-a-half as well. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us this week. Uh, it kind of sucks that we don't have a game this week. I mean, I, I, I hate when we're not playing. I mean, obviously, I live to watch us play. I live for that stuff. But it's just nice to have a, a little bit of a, a week to, to kind of re, recharge the batteries. My wife and I, would travel to all the road games as well. I've been doing that for years and years now. So it's nice to get a little bit of a break. But and actually sit down in my home and watch some football since all of our games have been night games. I haven't really been able to do much of that. I've been trying to watch games at bars and whatnot, during tailgating, all that good stuff. So it'll be a welcome reprieve in some ways, kind of just watch some other football on Saturday. Hope you guys enjoy your Saturday, whatever it is up, whatever it is you end up doing. Uh, I'm lucky. I have the best wife in the, on the face of the earth. I know all of you, I'm sure, have great wives if you're married, but mine's the best on the face of the earth. So I do not have any honey-do lists or anything like that this weekend when it's football season. She is gracious enough to allow me to just do what I do best, and that is watch and consume football like I said, I live for it, and she's awesome, and she'll be sitting right there with me watching as well. So I hope you guys, whatever it is you're doing, enjoy your Saturdays. Um, if you have the honey-do list, I'm sorry, guys. I guess get it done early and uh, watch some football, but enjoy it. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Check back with us next week, guys. We'll be back on Monday for you. We will uh, be having we'll – on Monday we're going to have a show where we're – obviously we don't, we're not going to have a game to recap, but we're going to take a look at the rest of the games on our schedule and kind of rank them and discuss – where we would rank each game 
in terms of difficulty from here on out. What game be the toughest all the way down to the least toughest game from here on out. I thought that would be an interesting thing to do off the bye week. And then obviously, the rest of the week will be focusing exclusively and very heavily on the Florida Gators and our huge matchup in Jacksonville. But that does it for us today, guys. As always, go dogs.